Look at all these kids. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> well, family night in the square, and the weather is just trying so hard to be nice to us. <laughs> right? Well, we hope that uh, you guys can make it out there. Um, we hope that it stays, uh, the sun stays out. Um, but, you know, whatever you guys do afterwards, my encouragement to you guys is to just um, try to be intentional in uh, grabbing onto some community and going to have a meal together with, with some people. And, uh, you know, Rimrock Downtown, we're, uh, we're a community that's being transformed by Jesus. And that's kind of our, our mission and our purpose. And so we hold community uh, at a high value, and we just want to build community with each other. So I just encourage you guys to do that. Um, for those of, that you, of you that don't, might not know me, uh, my name is Chris. I'm part of the teaching team down here at Rimrock Downtown, and uh, I'm just glad that you are here joining us um, tonight. So, hey, tonight we are continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount and going through uh, this, this series of Jesus' teachings and his words through uh, the three chapters of Matthew 5 through 7. Um, and what kind of implications that means for us as, uh, as, as pursuing Jesus and looking at who he is and what this life of following Jesus is all about and really what the life of the kingdom is all about. And so I just want to take a moment to uh, kind of step back and, uh, and recap what's going on here with Jesus kind of entering into this long monologue of, um, of teaching, right? And so... Uh, we know that uh, right before this, Jesus actually just uh, came onto the scene with his ministry, and he began announcing the kingdom of God. And he says, behold, the kingdom of God is here, right? Behold, the kingdom of God is here, and uh, it, it, the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's at hand. It's right here. And you can experience it right now. You can see it right now. It's happening, right? It's breaking through into our lives, the kingdom of God. And what does that look like? And then he goes on and begins healing people of diseases and, and making the blind to see and causing the lame to walk, creating the, making the unclean clean and the impure pure, making the broken whole again, and doing things that only God can do, that only happen within the, the kingdom of God himself. And so we see Jesus starting to do this, and we see the kingdom of God actually literally breaking through into the lives of people as they're being healed, right? And people are starting to ask questions. They're starting to be like, what is going on? Who is this guy and, and how can I be a part of that? What does it look like to even be a part of what he's doing? And he starts getting all these followers, this crowd of people following him. And then he gets this specific group that, of disciples that are like, I want this. I want what he's, whatever he's doing, I want to be a part of it. And what does it look like to be a part of it? And so then he goes up on this mountaintop and he's speaking to these people and he begins to, to unveil the kingdom of God for them, to show them what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom of God and, and who can be a part of the kingdom of God. And he begins to give this invitation 
for us to be a part of it. For us, right here, this invitation to be a part of what God's doing in his kingdom here and now. And so what does it look like to be a part of the kingdom of God? Well, we've said this week after week after week, and I'm going to continue to say it because I think it's so important to to say this over and over again, that what Jesus is saying in, in, in unveiling the kingdom of God is not this behavior modification system. It's not a 12-step program that you go through, right? It's not the seven effective habits of a, of a Christian, right? How to be a successful Christian. That's not what, what Jesus is, is, is getting at with this teaching, okay? Because the moment you go there and the moment you stop there, it becomes a set of principles, and we, we take the person of Jesus, this person of Jesus and this relationship that he's trying to, to share with us, and we extract those principles from him. And, and without that relationship, these principles become law. These principles merely become law, and at that they are unfulfilled because they are outside of him. And so we can try our best to, to pull up our bootstraps and white-knuckle it and try to do our best to do these things. But without that relationship and without Jesus, we can't do anything. We can't do any of this. And what he's inviting us to is a relationship with him. And out of that flows these things. These things. You know, Jesus' teachings here, they're not just bullet points. You know, we've been going through them, you know, kind of verse by, or section by section, right? And at times it can seem like bullet points. Okay, there's this, there's this, there's this, there's this, right? And they're just bullet points, right? But they're not. You see, what Jesus is getting at is a progression of the heart. It's a progression of the heart. That if your heart starts here, it's going to progress this way. But if your heart starts with me, it will progress this way. And I've, I've kind of likened, as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, I've kind of likened it to this, this idea of, uh, of this cascading waterfall. And that one, just one thing that Jesus, is, Jesus says just leads him flowing into the next because that's where the heart goes, right? Proverbs 4.23, I have it on the screen. It says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. That's what Jesus is getting at. That it begins, the source is at the heart. And it just, one thing leads to the next. And this is what Jesus is getting at. That these are heart issues. And heart issues hurt. Right? I think Ben kind of alluded to it last week that, that we all should, at, at some point in this series, get a little uncomfortable, right? As we hear these teachings, we, we, we start to realize that our heart is rooted in the wrong thing and not rooted in Jesus and, and, and who he is. And heart issues, when we open ourselves up to them, 
they hurt. Just like a surgeon making a cut, in order to heal, he has to hurt. And so I pray that, that we would open up our hearts tonight, that we'd open up our hearts in this, in this series and allow him to come make some cuts and allow him to, to hurt us a little bit in order to heal us and allow us to be a little uncomfortable and, and walk and lean into that. And so Jesus' next progression in where he goes from what Ben taught on last week is no different. That, that Ben was talking last week about how we speak to others. And, and we can speak to others out of, out of truth, out of life, and speak trust into others. Or we can speak hurt into others. And we can speak lies into others. And we can bring offense to others through our words. And this week, Jesus leads us right into this idea that, yeah, our words can hurt, our, our words can bring offense, but guess what? We're going to encounter other people who, where their words bring offense to us, where their words hurt us, and their words bring, bring hurt and, and, and offense to, to our lives. And the question that Jesus gets at, or the issue that Jesus gets at, is how do we respond? How do we respond when others hurt us, when others bring offense to us? And so he comes in, and, and Matthew five thirty-eight through 42 says this. He says, You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if, you, if, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to, to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, I've got a question. Who all has been pulled over for speeding? Oh, come on. There's got, okay, there we go. A little bit more hands go up. Okay, lots of us who have been pulled over for speeding, okay? I, I've been pulled over multiple times for speeding. I have a lead foot. I, that's my confession of the night, right? Lots of us have been pulled over for speeding, but who all has been pulled over for a mere speeding infraction? That's it, just speeding, and been handcuffed, beaten, and thrown in jail? No, no one? Well, that's a relief, right? That's a relief. <laughs> right. So here's what I'm getting at with this, is that we all experience the principle. Jesus comes out and says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And, and he's kind of, he's, he's referencing back to the old law, the Old Testament law, 
and where it says eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And if you go back and read that, my encouragement is to do so with a really good commentary right next to it because you'll walk into that and come out with more questions than you had before, okay? But here's what Jesus is getting at and what it meant, the principle of that law, eye for an eye, is that the infraction should match the consequence or the consequence should match the offense, okay? That's all that it really meant, that the, the eye for an eye, the tooth for a tooth, was, was given by God to protect the innocent, to protect the oppressed back then. Because back then, I mean, the Israelites experienced it to, to the highest degree when they were enslaved. That whatever offense they had, the, the, the consequence was, was brutality. It did not match the offense and so we experience this idea because we live in a country that has a justice system that strives for this principle, okay? That strives for this principle. Now, although it's imperfect and our justice system is, is imperfect, we at least have a constitution that strives for this same principle. And so Jesus is not abolishing this. Like he said, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to abolish the law, I'm, I'm, I'm here to fulfill it and to bring the principle and the essence out of it. And so, it was, back then, it was meant for, um, for legal affairs. And it was meant for affairs that required the justice system to get involved and the legal system to get involved. And no one would have ever taking that eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth seriously, like literally, not seriously, but literally. There was no eye gouging going on back then. There was no teeth pulling. There was none of that. It was the principle behind this idea that the consequence should match the offense, okay? And we see this, and, and the Israelites would have been, when they received this law, they would have been just relieved, by this, okay? Because remember, they just got out of slavery. They got, just got out of Egypt where they didn't experience this. They didn't experience this type of justice. And that's what it is, and that's what God was giving to them. He was giving them righteous justice. And he was protecting the innocent. And he was protecting the oppressed. And that's God's heart. And that's God's heart today. And that's Jesus' heart in this as well. And so, the problem that Jesus then addresses is this. That we begin to take this law and this principle of eye for an eye. Okay? Tooth for a tooth, right? And we begin to leverage this law and and use it for our own self-gain, and use it for our own self-interest in our own interpersonal affairs. When it's meant for a justice system, we want to use this principle for our own personal and interpersonal affairs. Like when people offend us, like when people manipulate us or lie to us, we think this, they 
need to get what they deserve. They did that to me. And they should get what they deserve. And we, this might come out in lots of different ways. It might come out in pure vengeance. It might come out in passive aggressiveness. It might come out in silence. Fellas, you ever gotten the silent treatment? Yeah. It might come out in all sorts of ways that we try to get back and we try to give an eye for an eye to those that have offended us, those that have wronged us. I mean, how many times has this happened or you've thought this today? I mean, how practical is this? Whether it's someone who cuts you off in traffic and you want to get right up next to them and, you know, give them the nice hello sign, right? Or whether it's your spouse or your brother and sister or someone close to you, a friend who has said something that just rubbed you the wrong way or seriously offended you or really hurt you. And so our question today is how do we respond? How do we respond to those, this interpersonal uh, interaction with others that we have day to day, that we bump into each other all the time. And how do we respond? And Jesus calls us to a kingdom response. He says, I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Give to the one who begs from you. And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And so he responds with this and he calls us to this kingdom response. And here's, here's the common misconception okay, of these words of Jesus. Okay, they take, uh, people can take these words and just extract them, right? And they can create a common misconception of what Jesus is saying. And this common mis- misconception is that, that we, we should just become a doormat to people, right? And we just should just let people walk all over us and do nothing about it because that's what Jesus calls us to, Right? To do nothing about it and just let people walk all over you and abuse you. That's not what Jesus' heart is. That's not what Jesus is saying here. This is not just taking offense and doing nothing about it, but it's recognizing an offense and doing something about it. But that something is countercultural. That something is against the grain of who we are and our flesh, right? That something is something of the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And so I want to just make 
this clear because what I'm not saying is that if something illegal is happening to you, that you should just love that person and let them get away with it and all that stuff. If it's a legal matter, it's not your job to dish out the punishment and the consequence, but you do have a justice system and a legal system to go to to make things right. And, but if it's a personal thing, if it's an interpersonal conflict between you and another person, which is most of the cases, we're called to humble ourselves and selflessly serve the other. In so doing, we reveal the kingdom to them. And in so doing, we show them the love and kindness of Christ. I love what one commentator said, that we seek to imitate God's own generosity. We seek to imitate God's own generosity in our interactions with others as they, as they offend us. What is God's own generosity? When I hear that, I think immediately of Romans 5, 8. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still offending God, God showed his love for us and that he sent his son to die for us. Wow. That's God's generosity. And so we seek to imitate God's own generosity in our own lives when we deal with other people. I got a firsthand experience of this. Probably my first time experiencing something like that in my life. And I was a freshman in college. I think somewhere in college. Whenever it was, I was making stupid decisions. And just like really dumb choices, right? And and mistakes, right? And I get a call from my dad, okay? I say, hey, dad, how's it going? He said, hey, Chris, I'm really excited. I said, oh, yeah, why? He said, because you have given me an opportunity to forgive you. <laughs> I said, okay, <laughs> that's awesome. I already knew I was forgiven. Sweet. But he gave me this example. I don't even know what I did. I don't even know if he remembers it. Whatever. It doesn't even matter. The point was, he looked for this opportunity to forgive. And he communicated that, hey, I just, I want to forgive you. And you've given me this opportunity, and, and I'm excited about it. <laughs> You guys, if we begin to look for opportunities to forgive and to bless rather than to curse and become bitter, we enter into true joy. That's the joy and the life that Jesus is talking about. We not only enter it in ourselves, but we extend it to others that they can have this joy and this peace and this healing. It's a response that evokes healing. 
instead of hurt. Just like last week, Ben said, we can speak things that, that give healing instead of hurt. We can respond in ways that give healing instead of hurt. And so, when we, when we look for these opportunities, when we forgive and bless rather than curse and become bitter, we, we have more kindness in our lives. We have more patience. We have more peace in our lives. We, we become more gentle. We, we, become, we begin to extend God's goodness to people. We become more faithful to him. We have more self-control. Does anybody recognize what I'm speaking? It's the fruits of the Spirit. It's Galatians 5, 23 through 24. Paul speaks of it. That these are the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Who needs the law when you're extending these things and you're evoking these things in your relationships? But this requires something. I mean, it's a simple concept, right? Just don't get offended. Right? Just stop being offended and we'll all be happy. Right? It's a simple concept, but it requires something very challenging. Extremely challenging, which most of us have issues with. And it's a little thing called trust. It requires trust. And trust is hard for, I'm sure, all of us in some way or another. And for a lot of us, it's especially hard to trust God. Um, I ran across this illustration of what trust really looks like. Uh, it's a great illustration. It's from uh, uh, Henry Nouwen. Uh, as he describes um, this, this traveling trapeze artists that he went to see. And he was watching these traveling trapeze artists fly through the air and do all these magnificent acrobatic tricks in the air. And, and he begins to say this. It says in, in this story about, about what he saw, it says, Now one observed that the flyer, the one who's flying through the air, twisting and turning, the person soaring through the air, is really not the star of the trapeze performance. While everyone is focused on the flyer's aerial maneuvers, they sometimes fail to see that the maneuvers are only possible because the flyer fully trusts that he will be caught. Everything depends on the catcher. This led Nowen to a new way of understanding his life with God. I can only fly freely when I know there is a catcher to catch me. We can only fly freely. We can only trust. We can only live this way and not be offended by others when we know that there is a God who is good. 
to catch us, to do what's right. The other example I thought of was King David. And this was powerful to look at in this light. But King David had these opportunities to just trust God fully with his life. And in his his encounters with, with Saul, who was trying to take his life, to kill David, right? And we see in, the, in his story that he's in this room with Saul, and Saul just chucks a javelin at his head, right? And barely missing, David had every right and, and could have just as easily grabbed that javelin and threw it right back at Saul's head and killed him right there. I mean, Saul took Goliath down. I mean, David took Goliath down. Saul was no match, okay? He could have taken him right there. And how many problems would that have solved for David? How many years in the wilderness would David have not had to be running? But he chose to, to escape and flee. And he flees to the wilderness. And he's being chased down now. For years, he's being chased down by King Saul and his army. And as, as, as King Saul and his army are chasing him down in the wilderness, Saul and his men are hidden in a cave. And I just want to lay this out for you guys. They're hidden in this cave, and Saul comes up to this cave, not knowing that David and his men are in there, and he decides to take a little break, a pit stop, right? And he walks into the cave to relieve himself. Okay, he's going to the bathroom in this cave. This is all in the Bible. You can look it up, okay? He's going to the bathroom in this cave. And listen, listen to what happens, okay? Right now, David and his men are in there. They realize that Saul's in there. And it's like the easiest opportunity ever to just end it, right? And to just take his life. I mean, this man is evil. And he's seeking to kill David. And this is what happens. David says to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing, kill him, to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. And afterwards, David arose and went out of the cave. Let me back up. What David did do was while Saul was going to the bathroom, he went and snuck up behind him and cut off a piece of his robe. Okay? He cut off a piece of his robe. So, afterward, David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. 
I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. Do you see what David did? He honored the Lord. He honored the Lord and he blessed Saul instead of cursing him. And listen to Saul's response. This is the response that evokes healings. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt with me, well with me, in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. You see that response? You see that healing that happened between them? Unfortunately, Saul continued to harden his heart, and things didn't end well for him. But David remained faithful, and he remained righteous, and his eyes on the Lord, and he trusted. He trusted that the Lord would do good and do right and be just. We see this other example at the highest level in the person of Jesus. When he went to the cross, an innocent, perfect man being nailed to a criminal's cross for us. And Peter puts it this way. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus entrusted himself to a just judge, to a God who is righteous and just. As followers of Jesus, we trust God to act justly. As we, we, we trust God to act justly on our behalf, as we act righteously on his behalf. Let's not again. We trust God to act justly on our behalf as we act righteously on his behalf. You see, as, as citizens of the kingdom, we don't live by the, law, by the right of the law. We don't live by our rights of the law. We live by the righteousness of the kingdom. We are from another kingdom. We are for another kingdom. And this kingdom is marked by humility and selflessness. As the musicians come back up, I just want to close and end with this and bring us back to, to our purpose. When we trust God in this way, we become a noticeable difference in our world. We become like a light set on a hill that you can't avoid, that you can't not notice. 
revealing truth to others. We become salt to the world. Salt in the lives of others. What does salt do? It preserves. And we begin to preserve relationships. Does this sound familiar? To be the light of the world. To be the salt of the earth. Can you imagine if we live this way, how many relationships would be saved? How many relationships would be restored if we would be the light and we would be the salt and we would act differently and we would act righteously and faithful and trust that we have a righteous, just God? This is the kingdom and this is our purpose. Lord, we just pray that that we would just have a deep relationship with you that would draw us close to you and to your heart and that through that our hearts would just be changed and that when we encounter others who do us wrong, our hearts would lean towards you and our hearts would, would act righteously towards them and that we would show them your goodness and be faithful to who you are. In Jesus' name.